sidewalks. A collection of 66 different books by around 40 different authors from many different backgrounds. There were kings and shepherds, soldiers, fishermen, doctors, poets and farmers. Some were young, some old, some rich, and some poor. And they wrote, each reflecting his own personality and style. From a wide variety of life circumstances. All the way from palace thrones and bedrooms. To the dungeons down in the palace basement. From seashores to mountaintops. And to the backsides of dry desert wastelands. In their books, the writers issued hundreds of specific future prophecies, all perfectly fulfilled or awaiting fulfillment. And they discuss every aspect of human life, hundreds of complicated and controversial topics. And yet, there is a unity and consistency of message in the Bible, from start to finish, that is nothing short of miraculous. Throughout history and today, millions of people around the globe call this book the Holy Bible, the very Word of God. It claims to be a self-revelation of the Supreme Being, the Creator Himself, stepping out of eternity into time and space to tell us and show us what He is like and to let us know His plan for our lives here on earth and in the hereafter. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar is your chance to actually hear, discuss, and decide for yourself about this book, The Bible. Stay tuned, and at the very least, you'll hear the beauty, wisdom, romance, adventure, and intrigue of the world's greatest literature, the best-selling, most translated book of all history. But more importantly, God himself just might speak to your heart and change your life forever. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Sophie Dollar. And here we are. Another day, another week going by, making progress as we move through the uh, Gospel of John. Hello everyone, this is Soapy, and I'm glad that you're along with us tonight. I'm glad you're along at this particular time, because if you have friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, people that you talk with and meet with and have a relationship with on an ongoing basis, I want to encourage you to let them know that they should tune in and join us for these evenings. It's always a great opportunity to hear the scriptures, but the Gospel of John is a unique book. Brand new believers are often counseled to read the Gospel of John first because it's such a very basic, clear book about the redemptive plan of God and about how Jesus fulfilled every demand, every requirement, every expectation of the Messiah. The Gospel of John has been written so that we might believe. John is not just a neutral observer and say, ah, oh, here's this interesting person, Jesus. He's an advocate. He's saying, look, I've met the Son of God. I have met the Messiah. This is his life. And I'm sharing with you some very compelling stories and realities of his life so that you can know that he is indeed the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, that he does indeed offer redemption and salvation new life for you, and I'm encouraging you to place your faith and trust in Him as well. Please tell your friends, neighbors, and others about the Bible Live opportunity right now as we make our way through this very special, unique book of the Gospels, the Gospel of John. Tonight we're going to open up talking particularly about the woman at the well, which is a very interesting story, and we'll be talking particularly about the claims of Christ, uh, what it is He had to do in order to show and give evidence that He was indeed who He said He was. Well, let's go first, though, to our Wisdom and Worship segment tonight from the Proverbs on the Bible Proverbs Life. Proverbs 8, 22 through 36. The Lord formed me from the beginning, before he created anything else. 
I was appointed in ages past at the very first, before the earth began. I was born before the oceans were created, before the springs bubbled forth their waters, before the mountains and the hills were formed. I was born before he had made the earth and fields and the first handfuls of soil. I was there when he established the heavens, when he drew the horizon on the oceans. I was there when he set the clouds above, when he established the deep fountains of the earth. I was there when he set the limits on the seas, so they would not spread beyond their boundaries. And when he marked off the earth's foundations, I was the architect at his side. I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence. And how happy I was with what he created, his wide world and all the human family. And so, my children, listen to me, for happy are all who follow my ways. Listen to my counsel and be wise. Don't ignore it. Happy are those who listen to me, watching for me daily at my gates, waiting for me outside my home. For whoever finds me finds life and wins approval from the Lord. But those who miss me have injured themselves. All who hate me love death. End of reading, Proverbs 8:22 through 36. Well, who is the I of this particular proverb? Harking back to the beginning of uh, chapter 8 of the Proverbs, it is wisdom. God says that wisdom is primary and fundamental. It is the foundation on which all life is built, the ability to make right decisions. Important point. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Right, we are back. The Bible Live. Making our way through the Gospel of John. We read the first three chapters, and as I said before, the Gospel of John now is the more theological, in a sense, of the Gospels. John is overtly theological. He takes on the content of God, the character of God, the attributes of God, and of course, Christology, the Messiah and his relationship to God. That he is God, he never ceased being God. But he also became the God-man, God who became a man. Now, if you think about it, God created us in his image. We cannot become God ever, but by taking on dependence in the servant role of humanity, God himself, Christ, became a man. We are created in God's image. It's not like becoming something totally different. He became a man and lived out the perfect life of a man of faith, of trust, and obedience to the Father. What a wonderful, beautiful, redemptive plan what a Savior we have, what a God we serve. Now we're going to pick up tonight in chapter 4. Jesus is traveling. He's going through Samaria, the hated half-breeds of that era, ethnically speaking. Jesus spends time, first place, with a woman. That would not have normally been done. Secondly, with an immoral woman. And thirdly, with a Samaritan woman. This is one of those times when Jesus clearly, overtly claims to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And we see a great revival happen in a Samaritan village as a result of this woman. The Bible life. John 4, 1 through 547. John 4. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea to return to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this is a very deep well. Where would you get this living water? And besides, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his cattle enjoyed? Jesus replied, People soon become thirsty again after drinking this water, but the water I give them takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me some of that water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to haul water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, You're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Sir, the woman said, You must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father here or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know so little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming and is already here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for anyone who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah will come, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. This is the Bible, lie with Soapy Dollar. Just then his disciples arrived. They were astonished to find him talking to a woman, but none of them asked him why he was doing it or what they had been discussing. The woman left her water jar beside the well and went back to the village and told everyone, Come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus to eat. No, he said, I have food you don't know about. Who brought it to him? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Do you think the work of harvesting will not begin until summer ends four months from now? Look around you. Vast fields are ripening all around us and are ready now for the harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one person plants and someone else harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and you will gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay at their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many of them to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, 
Now we believe because we have heard him ourselves, not just because of what you told us. He is indeed the Savior of the world. At the end of the two days' stay, Jesus went on into Galilee. He had previously said, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own country. The Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen all his miraculous signs. In the course of his journey through Galilee, he arrived at the town of Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in the city of Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea and was traveling in Galilee, he went over to Cana. He found Jesus and begged him to come to Capernaum with him to heal his son who was about to die. Jesus asked, Must I do miraculous signs and wonders before you people will believe in me? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, Go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed Jesus' word and started home. While he was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to feel better, and they replied, Yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized it was the same time that Jesus had told him, Your son will live. And the officer and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was Jesus' second miraculous sign in Galilee after coming from Judea. This is the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. John 5. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the Pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew how long he had been ill, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I am trying to get there, someone else always gets in ahead of me. Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your sleeping mat, and walk. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up the mat and began walking, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath day. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. It's illegal to carry that sleeping mat. He replied, The man who healed me said to me, Pick up your sleeping mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went to find the Jewish leaders and told them it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, My father never stops working, so why should I? So the Jewish leaders tried all the more to kill him. In addition to disobeying the Sabbath rules, he had spoken of God as his father, therefore making himself equal with God. Jesus replied, I assure you, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and tells him everything he is doing. And the Son will do far greater things than healing this man. You will be astonished at what he does. He will even raise from the dead anyone he wants to, just as the Father does. And the Father leaves all judgment to his Son, so that everyone will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. But if you refuse to honor the Son, 
then you are certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. I assure you, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming, in fact it is here, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted his Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge all mankind because he is the Son of Man. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to judgment. But I do nothing without consulting the Father. I judge as I am told, and my judgment is absolutely just, because it is according to the will of God who sent me. It is not merely my own. This is the Bible Lie with Soapy Dollar. If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. But someone else is also testifying about me, and I can assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact, you sent messengers to listen to John the Baptist, and he preached the truth. But the best testimony about me is not from a man, though I have reminded you about John's testimony so you might be saved. John shone brightly for a while, and you benefited and rejoiced. But I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. They have been assigned to me by the Father, and they testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself has also testified about me. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face, and you do not have his message in your hearts, because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. You search the scriptures because you believe they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me so that I can give you this eternal life. Your approval or disapproval means nothing to me, because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you representing my Father, and you refuse to welcome me, even though you readily accept others who represent only themselves. No wonder you can't believe, for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from God alone. Yet it is not I who will accuse you of this before the Father. Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses, on whom you set your hopes. But if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me because he wrote about me. And since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? End of reading, John 4.1 through 5.47. Word of God speak. I'm trusting that God's Word spoke to your heart tonight as you listen to the Gospel of John, chapters 4 and 5. Uh, as I listened to this, I was reminded there are several ways that Jesus claims to be God. One is through his direct claims, where he out and out says, I am God. I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. And the Messiah, is understood, was the Son of God, was God himself. So there are the direct claims where Jesus claims directly to be the Messiah, the Son of God. This is one of those. He says, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, but he called God his father, making himself equal with God. So that was understood what Jesus was claiming 
when he claimed this equality with God the Father. There is also there not only a direct claim, but there is an indirect claim in the sense that he claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus claimed certain initiatives and prerogatives that only God would have. For example, later on, we'll read the story when Jesus heals the man. But first, he says, your sins are forgiven. Well, they say only God can forgive sins. And Jesus said, aha, you got it. That was an indirect claim to divinity. He claimed to have a prerogative, an ability or right or authority to do something that only God could do. So there is an indirect claim to the Messiahship, to deity there. And also, not only are there direct claims and indirect claims, but sometimes there are dramatized claims. For example, we'll see when Jesus walks on the water, when he steals the storm, the wind and the seas obey him. And of course, many of the miracles are just this, when he raises people from the dead and heals diseases. These are dramatized claims of his deity. So Jesus claims to be God. Now his claims are either true or they're false. There is no middle ground. He is either the Messiah, the Son of God, or he is not the Son of God. There's no middle ground. There is no, well, he's not who he said he was, but he's a nice person. He's a great leader. That's not an option he leaves to us. Either his claim to be God is true or it's false. Now, if it's false, he either knew it was false or he didn't know it was false. Now, if he claimed to be God and it was false and he knew it, whatever other good he may have done by his life and ministry, at the core of his claims, at the heart of his teachings, at the heart of everything he offers to humanity is a lie, an intentional deception. He is a liar. Now, you have to decide. You have to look at his character. You have to read about him. You have to see about his teaching, the way he interacted with people in his lifestyle. Is it the lifestyle of someone you would characterize as a liar? Now, let's just say for a moment, though, that his claims are false, but he didn't know it. We've already talked about if he did know it, he's deceiving and he's a liar. But let's say he didn't know it. He thought he was God, but he was not. He claimed to be God. It's false. He's not God, but he thought he was. Well, in that case, he would be deluded. He doesn't know who he is. He, he's a lunatic on the level of a person who says, I'm a poached egg or I'm Napoleon Bonaparte. He is deceived about his own identity. Is Jesus a lunatic? You can't say he's a good man, he's a great prophet. That's not an option he's given us. He's either a lord or a liar or a lunatic. If his claims are true, then he is lord. And there's still two choices. You can accept him, you can reject him. But the point is you have to accept or reject him on that basis not coming up with this patronizing nonsense that, well, he's a nice person, a great prophet, a leader of men, he established a religion. That isn't an option that he has left to us. Not only does he say he is God, but twice now in the in the passage we read tonight, verse 19 and in verse 30, Jesus says, even though I'm God, I can do nothing by myself. I do nothing of my own initiative, my own prerogative, my own authority, my own power as God. Because that was his role as the Messiah. He had to come and live out the perfect life of a man of faith, trusting entirely and wholly upon the Father. So these miracles you see Jesus doing, this great teaching that he see him doing, this remarkable wisdom that he reveals, these are not him in his own power, in his own authority as the Son of God. This is him as a man doing these things because he is obeying and trusting and depending upon the Father. It is the power of the Father, the initiative and prerogative of the Father. Jesus says, I can do nothing of myself. I only do what I see the Father doing, what the Father leads me to do. In verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. I only judge as God tells me to judge and discern. 
So you see a number of times repeatedly Jesus is saying, I am God, and yet he says, I am here to do only the work of the Father, to live wholly in total dependence and trust in him. I hope that helps you understand the work of the Messiah and recognize what an incredible thing Jesus accomplished on our behalf. Another word quickly about Christology, about the doctrine and our understanding of Jesus the Messiah and his role. I've tried to emphasize tonight, using these passages from John 4 and 5, how the incarnation worked and how Jesus was the perfect man of faith. But there's another important fact that although he was entirely and wholly a man, there was one difference between Jesus and every other human being has lived, and that is that he did not have the irrevocable, irresistible tendency to selfishness and sin. He did not inherit the sin nature of Adam and Eve. Remember, he was virgin born, although he is fully and holy man. He is the second Adam. He's the last Adam. Again, a man walks and approaches the relationship with God from the side of sinless innocence. See you next Bible time. Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.